This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter. Mixed martial arts enthusiasts, welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we are on the heels of a week off, the rare week off here in terms of covering the UFC. We do have Bellator in Ireland. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. But first off, we're going to get into this past weekend's card, and it was a grisly one. Rare to say that, but this was a card that was not for the faint of heart. You look at the main event, you've got Corey Sanhagen taking on Song Yadong, and it was stopped in between the fourth and fifth round by a brutal cut that was opened up by Corey Sanhagen and his box of tools that he utilized to make it a difficult night for Song Yadong. Young up-and-coming fighter, still only 24 years old, has a whole world of potential, but that was a gnarly cut that he opened up, and it was the second gnarliest cut of the night. The gnarliest was in the co-main event. You have Gregory Rodriguez taking on Chidi and Jaquani, and Rodriguez, and you can see an artery in that cut. They showed a picture of it after the fact. Dana White tweet, uh, sent it out on Instagram. I mean, yeah, this sport is not for the faint of heart. This is just a sport where we have to remember week in and week out when we watch the sport that there are big stakes. And it's not just about winning and losing, but we're talking about like permanent scars. We're talking about surgeries. We're talking about all kinds of different procedures that these individuals have to go through simply because we want to be entertained on a Saturday night. And I thought, wow, can't really simplify it that way. These guys want to be champions. They want to be the best and they work really hard to get there. But at the same time, there is a cost to what they are doing. And we need to be very mindful of that when we watch the sport because if you look at a fighter like Song Yadong, still 24 years old, a performance like that can change a career. While it's just a cut and he will heal, he'll get it stitched up, there's still trauma involved with all of these fighters, I'm sure, having to lose on national television, sometimes in front of their friends and family, sometimes in the case of Damon Jackson, fighting after his brother passed away. In some of those situations, the fighter loses. You know, we saw that happen back a while ago in the UK when a fighter was fighting on the heels of the, or I guess it was the last chance his father was going to get a chance to see him compete. And he lost early in the fight. These are the kind of things that happen week in, week out in a fighter's life that we cannot comprehend and we don't really pay that much attention to, but we should start paying attention. You look at Andre Feely against Bill Algio, broken arm for Bill Algio. He's going to have to be on the shelf for a while to recover. Not going to be able to earn money doing what he trains so hard to do. You look at uh, Anthony Hernandez against Marc-Andre Berrio. Uh, according to Jason Hagholm, who spoke to his team, he suffered uh, two dislocated ribs on either side um, and also a torn abdominal muscle. I mean, the recovery time from that is going to be huge and it takes a massive toll on the body. And he would not quit in that fight. He went as long as he could before he got submitted uh, two minutes into the third round. You look at what Marc-Andre Berrio did after suffering that injury early in the first round, hanging on and fighting, really fighting to get that win unsuccessfully knowing that he could only accomplish a certain amount of his potential at that time it's very very difficult for a fighter to have to push through that and that's what makes these fighters so special is that each and every week they're willing to put themselves on the line not not just about their lives or anything along those lines not about hyperbole but they pour every single ounce of their soul into these fights into training sometimes sometimes a fighter shows up on fight day and they just they're not with it 
they're not able to perform at their peak. And that must be devastating for a fighter. And you see all of these injuries get racked up week over week. But this past week in particular really stood out to me as a week where you look at, what is it, four of the six main card fights, we had a pretty bad injury or a bad cut. And uh, kudos to Gregory Rodriguez who fought through that cut and got a win in the second round. But man, you look at the pictures and what these fighters have to go through on a weekly basis, not to mention you know, what's at stake for them in terms of their mentality. I mean, a loss can be really devastating for a fighter because they've put so much into it and to, to show that on that night they were not good enough to beat an opponent. They have to go home with that on their back. And you have all these people on social media making it even worse and piling on and saying, you cost me my parlay. And I'll say this. If you're one of those people that says, oh, you cost me my parlay, how do you think they feel? Every single time, for the most part, these fighters are betting on themselves because they get their show money and they don't get their win money if they don't successfully win the fight. So how do you think they feel? You think they, they're worried about your parlay ticket? If you're one of those people, take a long look in the mirror before you send a tweet like that or a message on Instagram. I know that you feel like these are fighters that are here for your entertainment, that you commodify them. You make it feel like they owe you something. They owe you nothing. They're putting it all on the line week in and week out for your entertainment. This is the kind of thing that we need to comprehend on a week-to-week basis when we watch these fights. There's so much at stake for them as people and what it means for them to compete and be successful at what they do. And while we enjoy watching it every single week and we can sit around with our friends or whatever our weekly ritual is when we consume mixed martial arts, you just have to remember the human toll here. And I think that's really important for when we take a look at these fighters and think of them as people rather than commodities. That's the big takeaway that I had this past weekend from watching UFC Fight Night Sanhagen versus Song. Now let's get into the fights themselves. We'll get to the main event. As I mentioned, Corey Sanhagen defeats Song Yadong. And I think that this was a fight that Corey Sanhagen showed so many tools in and, and such improvement. I think it was an 11-month layoff for Sanhagen since his fight against Piotr Jan for the interim championship. Just showing so many new wrinkles to his game. And if you look at well-rounded in MMA, Corey Sanhagen's near the top of the list. Like, you look at what he does in his fights, and it's really quite remarkable to see how good he is at everything. Now, his takedowns probably need a little bit of work. His takedown defense, of course, could use some improvement, but... No fighter is perfect. Corey Sanhagen is just about as well-rounded as you can get. His striking is unbelievable. His diversity of attack is phenomenal. His submission game and his grappling, just so high level. And there are so many people that love this guy and love what he's about and talk about how one day he will be a champion. And I'm, I'm of the belief that that's true. I think that one day Corey Sanhagen will put it all together and have the performance that will make him a champion. But the bantamweight division is a shark tank right now. You look at the top of that division, you're going to have Sterling and Dillashaw, both of whom have beaten Sanhagen. They're going to be competing Piotr Jan against Sean O'Malley. If Sean O'Malley gets a win there, I think it's going to be very difficult to deny him a title shot. There's just so many different people in this division. Chito Vera, for example, another one. Just The guy's just an absolute beast right now. Nobody's able to stop this guy. You, you go up and down the list, and even Song, I mean, he's just going to get better. That's the scary thing with him. Is like, 
I, I had him winning the first round. I can't remember if I had him winning the second round as well. But, I mean, he, he won a round on Sanhagen. And, and, again, 24 years old, getting better and better. Ricky Simone is coming into his own. That rhymes. And it was unintentional, but still sounded cool. Pedro Munoz is still in the mix, and he won the first round against Sean O'Malley as much as he hates to admit that. Umar Nurmagomedov, let's start talking about this guy. I mean, Umar Nurmagomedov is a guy that I think will also be a future champion one day. This guy's got everything. He's very well-rounded. His striking is, is extremely high level, even though he's in Nurmagomedov and is probably an even better grappler. Adrian Yanez, that's how Luke Thomas says it's pronounced. Uh, that's what Adrian told him, so we're going to roll with that. Uh, Adrian Yanez is, is looking fantastic as well and one of the contender series alum is really coming to his own uh, jack shore even though he had a recent setback he's really good one person we're not going to see going forward is jose aldo in the division and we'll talk a little bit about that later on and i i even forgot to mention dominic cruz rob font like these guys are exceptional fighters i'd actually like to see that match up next cruz versus font that'd be a good fight and i didn't mention marab who's ranked number ranked ahead of sanhagen who just beat jose aldo I mean, it's just, it's an absolute shark tank right now in that division. Uh, Frankie Edgar will be leaving the rankings after his next fight, whenever that is. Uh, he wanted it to be in New York. I don't know how much of that card has been put together, but it's two months away. Hopefully he has an opponent lined up. You know, Rob Font would be a good opponent for Frankie Edgar as well. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Not sure if they want to give him kind of an easier opponent on the way out, but either way, would love to see that fight. Gregory Rodriguez defeats Chidi Njokowani. Actually, you know what? Before I, I go back, before I go to this co-main event, let's talk a little bit more about Corey Sanhagen because I just think that that was the, the performance that he needed after facing uh, such tough competition at the very top of that division. The likes of Aljamain Sterling, Piotr Jan, TJ Dillashaw. He needed to get back in the win column, and he needed to do so the way that he did in that fight. He was being stifled by Song and was able to really get creative and find a way to win. And that's one of the, the things that I think Corey Sanhagen has going for him is he's extremely creative. And when I interviewed him last week, if you missed that interview, I recommend you check it out. It was on the TSN MMA show last week. Talked about how he looks at mixed martial arts as his art, as pursuing becoming an artist and the artistry that goes into fighting. And it really seems to be his singular focus. Wakes up, trains, rinse, repeat. I like that mentality, but at the same time, and I like that he looks at it as a dialect. I think that's really a cool way to look at mixed martial arts. But I, and he he does play that. I guess it's spike ball. It's called. He has some sort of, some outside interests, but I don't know if letting mixed martial arts consume you in that way is healthy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I would encourage him to find some things that allow him to decompress and to take his mind off of fighting. Whether it's going to, and who am I to recommend it? I mean, listen, he's the, he's the professional athlete here, but going to maybe a sensory deprivation tank or, you know, finding other interests that will take his mind off of it because when you get so obsessed with something, it can really consume you. I, but hey, you know, look at George St. Pierre, one of the greats. He was the same kind of way, right? So maybe it is good for Sanhagen to, to, to be so dialed in that it just is all consuming for him 30 years old in his prime right now it's tough to deny that Corey Sanhagen is going to be in the mix for a long time to come in bantamweight it already has been in the mix it's just going to continue to be in the mix and I think on his best night he can beat just about anybody 
I'd actually love to see him run it back with Aljamain Sterling. I think that would be a great fight to see where he would be at now against a guy that's at a championship level. And he could get there. It'll take time, but I think he's going to get there. End of 2024, he'll be have competed for the title again, for sure, in my opinion. Now, whether or not he is successful, we'll see. But I think that right now he's entering his absolute prime, and I, I just think he's going to keep getting better and better. I love his process, and I think that that's, he's one of the best process-based fighters out there. Now we can move on to the co-main event. Gregory Rodriguez defeats Chidi and Jokowani, and Rodriguez cut badly in the very, I think it was the first minute or two of the, of the first round. And the doctors were taking a long look at it. I mean, that cut was gnarly. But the Nevada doctor yeah, let him continue. You know, it took, took two of those inspections, three of those inspections with Song before he pulled the plug. Nevada doctor was willing to let it go. In New York, fights probably stopped. But thankfully for Rodriguez, it was not stopped. And he ends up scoring a uh, TKO win early in the second round against Chidi Njokowani. Great win for him. I think that this is a guy who has looked phenomenal since coming to the UFC. Only losses to Armand Petrosian in a very, very closely contested split decision. 2022 saw that loss early in the year, but since then, wins over Julian Marquez, first round win over Julian, and Julian Marquez is an exceptional fighter, and a second round win over Chidi and Jokowani. Also has a uh, KO win over Jun Yong Park, who's looked very good as well. I think that this is a fighter that has a, a massive future. Also only 30 years old and entering his prime. He's an exciting one to watch. He looks like he's 40, but only 30 years of age. Andre Feely back in the win column defeats Bill Algeo. You know, people got on me because I gave Feely a 30-27 for this fight. And it ended up being a split decision. But look, second round was extremely close. And the third round was extremely close. I just happened to like, in the second round, I thought Feely landed the more impactful strikes. None of the judges agreed with me, so maybe I'm off on that. But I thought he landed the better strikes. He landed less of them, but I thought he landed the better strikes. The more impactful strikes, the more effective strikes. And then in the third round, Algeo was landing a lot of stuff with Feely on his back. But Feely was going for chokes. He was, you know, he had Bill Algeo in a pretty deep choke. We have to also reward effective grappling like that. And Feely was still landing shots from, from the back. I think Algeo landed some really big shots and he was just throwing and throwing. And that's a great way to win a round when you're in a very disadvantageous position like he was against Andre Feely. But I gave Feely the nod. Listen, this is the problem with a lot of people. When they see somebody hand out a 30-27 in a close fight, they expect some sort of mercy round or a courtesy round. That's not what judging is. You get your scorecard. You say who you thought won the round, and you hand it back. You can't be like, well, this round was a lot closer than the first round, so I'm going to give it to the other guy. Not how judging works. And yeah, maybe I take it to heart when people you know, get on me about these things. And one guy you know, commented and said, why are you shutting comments off? The guy shuts off comments when he writes controversial stuff. Now, I, I shut off comments for every scorecard-related tweet because, and I don't want to sound pompous about this, and I probably will, but unless you've taken some sort of judging training or have read the criteria, just reading the criteria is enough for me, honestly. If you've read the criteria and understand the criteria, then your opinion, to me, has value. But if you haven't, and you're just watching, and you think this guy won the round, your opinion doesn't have much value to me. 
is you're not watching it from the standpoint of the criteria. And I think that this year, 2022, is the year where people have really begun to be in tune with how fights are judged and how they're scored. And I think the big champion of this is Severe MMA's Sean Sheehan. He's been, for years, he's been talking about this and talking about the criteria and helping people understand the criteria. And I think that shows like the Cage Side Judges, shout out to uh, Scott Fontana and Dan Urban, they do a show every week where they go back and watch contested rounds where if one judge gave it to one fighter and another judge gave it to another fighter, they will break down those close rounds and give their two cents based on the criteria. And we also have to remember, these judges are sitting cage side. They've got a completely different vantage point than we do watching from home. So they might see something that is more impactful in person, that might have sound louder in person, or they might not see it. And they have to kind of go with what they can see properly. Sometimes the fighter's back will be to them when they throw a punch, or something will be blocking them, or a camera guy might be in the way. Like we, These are all intangibles that we never take into consideration when it comes to scoring fights. But good for Andre Feely back on the horse after a, a really tough loss earlier in the year. Uh, nice to see it. Joe Pfeiffer, be Joe Pfeiffer, comes in with authority. First round TKO finish over Alan Amadovsky. Uh, and I imagine that's got to be Alan Amadovsky's last time that he fights in the UFC. He's lost his last three, all in the first round. Two first round KOs, one first round sub. Unanimous decision lost to Christoph Jotko in his debut, which of course is acceptable because Jotko wins unanimous decisions against everybody. But I think that Pfeiffer looks like the real deal. And he's training in that great camp in Philadelphia, you know, with the likes of Andre Petrovsky, um, Pat Zabatini, who fought on the card. Really, really strong camp. And, of course, we've got uh, Sean Brady competing soon, also part of that camp. Paul Felder used to be part of that camp. Nice to see Philadelphia on the map. And then also in Philadelphia, you've got the Dawkins brothers at a different camp. So it's cool to see the Pennsylvania region as a whole get some, uh, some shine on, on the big levels, on the higher levels, rather. I couldn't believe how big of a favorite Piper was, but it doesn't matter how big of a favorite you are. If you win, you win. Rodrigo Nascimento defeats Tanner Bozer. Split decision. I thought this was a closer fight than a lot of people did. I think it's one of those ones where you can give all three rounds to Nascimento. Well, I thought actually the second round was pretty clear Bozer, so I'll take that back. That was a clear Bozer win. I don't know. The one judge gave, gave Nascimento that round. That one I don't understand. But I thought really it came down to... Um, the third round, I thought Bozer was taken down and held there, but Nascimento wasn't mounting much offense. And Bozer landed some good strikes on the feet, landed a late barrage. Wasn't enough to convince the judges, uh, well, two of the judges, that he had won the fight. So I expect Tanner Bozer. It looked like he was in great shape. I I've never seen him in such good shape. But uh, still, you're giving up a 40-pound advantage at heavyweight. It can always, uh, especially when you got bottom position, when you're on bottom against a guy with high-level jiu-jitsu skills, uh, at that weight class like Nascimento, and I think that's why Jailton Almeida will do really well, although he doesn't have the size of a Nascimento. Speaking of which, apparently Jailton Almeida versus Shamil Abdurakhimov has been rebooked for UFC 280, but not to, to get too far off topic. But yeah, I expect Bozier to get back on the horse, and um, it's been a really tough going for Canadians this past month. We saw both Calgarians lose two weeks ago, with Hakeem Dawoodoo and Chad and Hellinger. 
we uh, saw Marc-Andre Barrio and Tanner Bozier both lose in the main card. Jillian Robertson got a win. We'll talk about that a little bit. But, yeah, tough treading for the Canadians right now. Tough treading. And uh, hopefully we'll see a return to form. Uh, any Canadians? I know Diana Balbita was about to be competing soon, but she's not. Uh, Jesse Ronson is on the next card. If you're looking ahead to Canadians, and that's in uh, not this Saturday, but the, the following Saturday, October 1st, I believe it is. But I digress, and we'll move on to Anthony Hernandez versus Marc-Andre Berrio. I mean, very, very gutsy performance by Berrio after breaking his rib in the first to hang in there for as long as he did, honestly. But uh, Anthony Hernandez looks like he's really stepped it up a level. He's, he just keeps getting better and better every time we see him. He could be a problem at middleweight. He's so good everywhere. Another really well-rounded fighter. Good in scrambles. Uh, you know, good grappling, good takedown defense, good striking, you know, just really strong across the board. Good win for him against a very tough Marc-Andre Berrio. And I think Berrio is probably going to be out for a while. I mean, I don't know how long it takes to recover from dislocated ribs and a torn, a torn abs, but it can't be anytime soon. I mentioned earlier Damon Jackson comes into a fight, fight against uh, Pat Sabatini with a heavy heart. His brother had passed away. And this is the best he's ever looked. Because Pat Sabatini was on a roll. Like, this guy looked like he couldn't be stopped. He was beating everybody. He looked like he was going to be a future top 10 guy at featherweight. Damon Jackson just runs through him like a buzzsaw. First round, minute and nine seconds in by TKO. Man, Damon Jackson, you know, last week we talked about the resurgence of Julian Arosa and his third stint with the UFC. We go back to Damon Jackson. He ended up going 0-1, one, one no contest and one draw in his first UFC stint. And then he goes back to the regional scene and has a lot of success. Has a cup of coffee in PFL, loses to Movlil Khaibulayev, which is uh, nobody should be ashamed of. Heck of a fighter. Now he's back in the UFC. He's gone 5-1. I think Arosa is also 5-1 since coming back. I just love seeing these guys who, you know, losing the UFC, come back for a second or third stint in Arosa's case. Just the, the level of perseverance that you need to have to do that. Not a lot of people have that because you get to, a lot of these fighters, you see them. Their last ever fight is a UFC fight. Because once they get to the UFC, they've made it. And to have to go right back to square one, I don't know what he was making per fight in the LFA. I can't imagine it was more than $2,000. But to go back and have to go back to the regional scene, fought all the way from LFA 1 through LFA 83. Not on every event, obviously, but that's how long his LFA stint was, minus that one fight in the PFL. I mean, he was out of the UFC for four and a half years. Comes back. And he's, he's just looked great. So kudos to Damon Jackson. I, I, I was surprised he beat Pat Sabatini, honestly. I thought it was a bad matchup for him. I thought Sabatini was going to uh, grapple with him and would be able to handle everything that Damon Jackson threw at him. But I don't think he expected or anybody else expected Damon Jackson to be coming into that fight with a, with a heavy heart and uh, a mission to be successful. So kudos to Damon Jackson. One of my favorite fighters to watch in the UFC. Always in exciting fights. Trevin Giles defeats Louis Koski. Unanimous decision. Koski, I got... 
Orion, when I interviewed him, his brother, told me it was Koshe. It was like an Italian last name. But everybody says Koski or Koski. But regardless, Trevin Giles gets a win there. I mean, Trevin Giles, when was the last time he was in a memorable fight that he won? Like, he had that one knockout against... Um, what's the dude's name? He was considered to be like a hot prospect. Bavon uh, Lewis. He had that one knockout against Bavon Lewis, but... I mean, do you, do people remember any of his wins? Like, I just, I don't know. He, well, he's at welterweight now. He look, he's looking good. But uh, just saying, that fight was, uh, that was a slog to get through. And I'm, again, it's not an indictment on his skills. Very skilled fighter. That's why he's been in the UFC for so long. Women's strawweight Loma Luke Bunmi defeats Denise Gomez. Gomez hot off the contender series. Got one round on one judge's scorecard, but uh, it was all Luka Bunmi, and I thought that her grappling continues to improve. And I know earlier I talked about injuries. Loma talked about, in the post-fight press conference, about how she was considering suicide after her last loss. Again, like we have to think about the mental toll that these fights take on these fighters. It's really, really important that we don't Forget that and forget how important it is to these fighters and their families and their well-being to be successful at what they do. Just like all of us, you know, like we all have failures in life. And failures can be a losing experience, but man, they can be devastating. Failing always hurts. It's never a great experience, of course. It's how we react to those failures, of course, that define us as people. And some Sometimes failure hits people harder than others. And sometimes it's harder to bounce back. But nice to see her back in the win column after taking her last loss so personally and, and the toll that it had on her life and her, her mentality. Trey Ogden, win over Daniel Zellhuber. Zellhuber, a massive favorite in this fight, did not look it at all. Basically, cruise control for Ogden. Uh, one of the students under the great James Krause Looked sharp, looked like he was in charge for the entire fight, dictated where it went. Shout out to Trey Ogden, good win for him. Jillian Robertson defeats Maria Agapova with a rear naked choke. They used to train together at ATT. Now they're both uh, at different gyms. Uh, Agapova's at ATT Sunrise, I believe. And uh, Jillian Robertson now in the Goat's Shed, Goat Shed, which is uh, an interesting name for a camp. But she looked fantastic. Another submission win for her. Another finish. I mean, she just keeps racking up records in the flyweight division. But it keeps hitting stumbling blocks that have prevented her from getting into, like, a championship level. She's 2-3 and three in her last five. And you look at the kind of records that she's racked up. I mean, her losses are the tough fighters, though. Like, lost to J.J. Aldrich, Miranda Maverick, Tyler Santos. And then previous wins to Macy Barber and Myra Bueno Silva. And then on the regional scene to Cynthia Calvillo. So, it's like not like she's losing to... Fighters that, these are all UFC fighters. These are all fighters that are still in the UFC, right? Has wins over Molly McCann, who's on fire right now. Uh, Emily Whitmire and Hannah Cyphers, who are both no longer with the promotion. Veronica, Veronica Macedo, uh, Sarah Frota, Courtney Casey, Pollyanna Battaglio, and Priscilla Cachoeira. And now Agapova. So it's like a, a good level that she's beating, but she's, she's just been having trouble getting into that top tier and beating those fighters. But it seems like when she's matched up with somebody who would be considered either her equal or below, 
she wins those fights. I mean, it seems like common sense, but it seems like she's always able to find a submission in those situations. And she finds one against Agapova, who's uh, on a bit of a, a rough streak herself. Uh, one and three in her last four, including including that loss to Shannon Dodson, where she was, I think, the biggest favorite to ever lose in UFC history. Javid Basharat defeats Tony Gravely. Basharat looked so good. I forget who it was that was saying that they could have championship, that Basharat could have championship potential. I think it might have been Sean Sheehan, actually, on his podcast. But I'd, I'd pump the brakes a little bit on that, but... This guy's so good everywhere, and he's so aggressive. He's always hunting for finishes. I'm a fan of this guy. And his brother, uh, Farid Basharat, just got a contract from the Dana White Contender Series like the week prior. And now Javid keeps the Basharat name on top with a, a nice win. And uh, Nicholas Mata defeats Cameron Van Camp by a TKO. Looked great in his, uh, his fight, the opening bout of the evening. That is your recap for... UFC Fight Night, Sanhagen versus Yudong. And a little bit of commentary on, you know, what again was something of a grisly week in terms of uh, a UFC card. Dana White Contender Series had a pretty big moment yesterday. We had a 17-year-old fighter, Raul Rosas Jr., competing on the Dana White Contender Series. And while some people might be, un, you know, that might make them uneasy that a 17-year-old is competing, he is turning 18 in 17 days from now. So next time he is in the octagon, he'll be 18 years old. Still will end up being, I'm sure, the youngest fighter to ever compete in UFC history. Certainly the youngest to ever sign a contract at age 17. So good on him. He looked phenomenal against Gutierrez. And his grappling was just so sharp. And his transitions, his aggressiveness, looking for finishes all the time, looking for unique ways to get into advantageous positions. Does he look like he's ready? Probably. But at the same time, the striking, we didn't get to see much of it. And that's the part that worries me. But is there are there fighters in the UFC that you could match him up against? in the bantamweight division that he would be favored against? Probably. I'm sure you can find somebody. And I think that's probably what they're going to do. They're going to look at the fighters that will be the easiest challenges for him in the UFC. So again, when I say an easy challenge, we're not talking about, you know, conquistador number two on WWF superstars. We're talking about fighters that have made it to the UFC, that have done well on the regional level, that may have won on contender series, may have won uh, on or been a contestant on The Ultimate Fighter, like good fighters, that I think that he's going to be able to beat from the shoot. So let's see how it goes. But I would like to see some some of his striking on display because he didn't get to see too much of it. And that's because he's such a good grappler, right? So it's not not a knock on him. It's more, and I didn't say he has bad striking. I just don't know, right? He threw that that crazy spinning kick that connected, but didn't have a ton of impact, but still looked, <laughs> looked very cool. Uh, but that being said, I think that, we need to kind of wait and see with him and see how good he's going to be. But I was very surprised that he got the contract right out of the gate from Dana White because Dana White usually won't do that. Usually he'll say, well, this guy needs more time to develop. He should go to the regional scene. I was surprised that Dana White was like, yeah, this guy's good. Ready to go. I think he uh, he's UFC ready. At age 17, for Dana White to say that, I think is very, very 
you know, it's an anomaly. I'll just say it that way. It's an anomaly. And every other winner got a contract on the Contender Series. Uh, Feheha in the main event looked great against Aliyu. Austin Lane making his second appearance on the Contender Series gets it done. Uh, Aliyev tells Dana White afterwards that he's going to be a champion of the lightweight division in the next two years. Certainly looked great against Wick. And uh, Filio defeats Echeverria in the first fight. That was a great fight. I think we're going to see Echeverria in the UFC sometime. He was, even though his resume isn't great, like the guys that he fought, he's fought so far in the regional scene, not the highest level. He looked like he belonged in there with Filio. And, uh, like, there, there's a chance that had that fight continued and he didn't get caught with that punch, could have won that fight, maybe on the judges' scorecards or by taking out Filio's leg, because he damages Filio's leg badly with those leg kicks. So I think we'll see Echeverria maybe on next year's Contender Series or, or even in the UFC sometime. I thought he looked really solid, all things considered. In terms of the fighters that lost fights, I think he put on the best performance. I mean, a lot of them lost in the first round, right? Three of the four lost in the first round. And Gutierrez just, he just would not listen to his coaches. But when he had openings and he found openings and he had Rosas in bad positions, Rosas was able to get out of them, so much to his credit. And also to Gutierrez's credit for finding some solid rear naked choke opportunities but being unable to finish them because Rosas was just so crafty. Let's move over to Bellator. 285. This Friday, I believe it is? 23rd? Yeah, this Friday. Probably in the afternoon, if I had to guess. You got Benson Henderson against Peter Queeley in the main event. The one that I want to talk about is Manhoff versus Yoel Romero. I was shocked to see Manhoff as a plus 450 underdog here. I mean, I know Manhoff is old, but is he like is he actually older than... I don't know if he's older than Romero, is he? Yeah, he is. He's 46. All right, I stand corrected. But Manhoff is, you know, he's won two of his last three, and his loss was to Corey Anderson, who's likely going to be the champion after his next fight. No disrespect to the current champion, Vadim Nemkov, but I think that Anderson looked like he was on his way to winning that fight. But, you know, still has some wins. The thing is, I think Romero needs to go for takedowns here, and Romero's been very gun-shy with going for takedowns. Because I think if this is on the feet, Manhoff can catch Romero. He can hit him with some big shots and, and win on the judges' scorecards. Like, I don't know if he's going to be able to put Romero out. Like, what's what are the odds on Manhoff winning by decision? Plus 1,400. Like, is, that, is it completely out of the question? Maybe. But I'm just surprised that Manhoff is this big of an underdog. And, and, and hey, I might be eating my words next week after this fight. Believe me, I understand that. But let's see. Mads Brunel's a minus 410 favorite against Pedro Carvalho. That's a fun fight. I think if it's on the feet, Carvalho will have an advantage. But, uh, you know, Brunel has a pretty clear path to victory if he can get this one to the ground. You also have Diana Silva against Liam McCourt. you got Brett Johns on the card. Fun card for those that are in Dublin on Friday. Not sure if I'm going to do the old Bellator. You can do the old Bellator favorite inside the distance parlay. If you find the big favorites on the undercard... You take the inside the distance props and you just parlay them all together. It's all tried and true Bellator formula. 
All right, so that's Bellator for this week. Uh, I, don't have a mu- I don't have much to say about it. I think that uh, in the main event, I think Queeley's live. I mean, anybody against Benson Henderson is live. Because Benson Henderson is not, you know, he's a very risk-averse fighter. If you can take advantage of that, and it's hard to do because if you look at different risk-averse fighters, Benson Henderson might be the best of all time. <laughs> you know, him and Demetrius Johnson. Although Demetrius Johnson does take risks, but they're very, very calculated risks. Benson Henderson is just so fundamentally sound. It's like the Tim Duncan of MMA. Mr. Fundamentals. He's just good everywhere. He's had a great career. I'd put him in the UFC Hall of Fame, honestly. I, people might scoff at that, but... He had a solid run as the uh, lightweight champion. He's kind of the forgotten champion in UFC lore. Because, to be honest, a lot of his fights are kind of forgettable. He's just he's just clean, clean, clean performances. But he's a super nice dude. Always happy to uh, see him be successful because of of that reason. When I was uh, before I covered the sport, I got to spend some time with Benson Henderson when I was producing a radio show, and he was just the most down to earth, cool guy on the planet. So looking forward to that, and of course we look ahead. No fight this weekend, and then the following weekend. On paper, not the prettiest card. From top to bottom, it's there's not a, one fight on this card that stands out to me where it's like I gotta see that fight. I'll be watching all of them. Every UFC card I will watch. I'm not one of these people that I mean I cover the sport, so I mean, and I'm also not trying to put down the fighters. It's more just from a promotional standpoint. Like they did, there's nothing on this card that really is something that stands out as a great fight. I like the Borshev versus Mike J- Mike Davis fight. Is that still on the card? Stern versus Yan Xiaonan as a main event. Hmm. Then there's another week off after that. I'm not sure what they have uh, coming up after that. What's, what's the main event? Oh, yeah. Then there's Grosso versus Arujo, and that's another card that on paper is not looking great. Again, no disrespect. But uh, that's okay. Because in three weeks... We're going to have a pay-per-view for the ages, UFC 280. And that's going to be well worth having two cards that, again, on paper don't look great. Because UFC 280 is one month from tomorrow. Oh, counting down the days. But that card is like as fire as it gets. Charles Oliveira, Islam Makhachev, Sterling versus Delashaw, Piotr Jan versus Sean O'Malley, Benil Darius versus Mateusz Gamrot, Manon Fioro versus Caitlin Chukagin, Bilal Muhammad versus Sean Brady, Kyle Boralio in action against Mahmoud Muradov. That's a great fight, too. Nikita Krylov against Uzdemir. Like, we got Muhammad Mokayev in action against Canadian Malcolm Gordon. Abubakar Nurmagomedov is fighting. They just added Shamil Abdurakhimov against Jelton Almeida. I mean, this is, that's an embarrassment of riches, that card. That is a tremendous, tremendous card. I thought the UFC were going to start exploring life outside the Apex. It seems like their next three fight nights are at the Apex. Like, is that going to be a thing? Are they going to start going to some more locales <laughs> with some fights? I mean, I know the Apex is kind of, you know, cheap and cheerful, but... You know, let's let's get the show on the road, folks. 
You know, Dana White wants to go places where it's easy to do business. Where, where isn't that the case right now? I mean, even Canada, big news for Canadian MMA fans, by the way. Uh, the border, rec- uh, sorry, the border vaccination requirement is being lifted, according to reports, by the end of the month. And I know for a fact that that has been a huge hesitancy for the UFC when it comes to returning to Canada to put on cards. So once that is lifted, I think that we're going to see some events in Canada next year, hopefully three. Uh, That's what Dave Shaw, the uh, senior vice president of international and content, said at his press conference, I believe it was in France, said three in Canada next year. Should put together a pool for which cities. Do like a fantasy draft for cities and whoever guesses the most wins. If I had to guess, again, just guessing. I think we see Toronto. I think we see Calgary. And I think we see Winnipeg. I'm going to say Winnipeg for a fight night. Fight nights in Calgary and Winnipeg, pay-per-view in Toronto. It's my guess. It's an educated guess, but still a guess. And I hope that's the case. I've never been to Winnipeg, and I, I loved Calgary when I was out there. That was a great city. And still is a great city from what I understand. But I, I haven't been back in a while. And uh, I'd love to go there. I had a good time there. So that's that's what we've got right now in the world of mixed martial arts. And of course, I need to talk about the uh, the king of Rio, Jose Aldo, calling it a career. I had uh, gotten an alert that he was removed from the uh, UFC fan rankings, and subsequently the UFC rankings period taken out of the bantamweight division. And at that point in time, I was like, I think he's retiring. I didn't think that they would release him to like explore other options with a fight left on his contract. But I think that the writing was kind of on the wall. Murad Dualashvili kind of dropped a nugget in his interview, I believe it was with Ariel Hawani, that Aldo told him at the end of the fight that he was going to retire, that he knew that he was going to be out of the championship mix. And you know what? Jose Aldo is an absolute legend of the sport. If you look at the WEC weight classes that were not in the UFC, like bantamweight and featherweight, you can take all those fighters. I think Aldo has had the best career out of all of them. And I still think he has the best featherweight resume of anyone. Like I, I still think he's the greatest featherweight of all time, and I know a lot of people will be like, oh, Volkanovski and Connor and Max Holloway beat him twice. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get all that. But... His run from his first WEC appearance until he lost the title to McGregor lasted seven years, seven and a half years. And he was just running through. He beat Mendez twice, beat Frankie Edgar, beat Kenny Florian, beat Ricardo Lamas. He was beating all the best guys at 145 pounds. And, you know, people will be like, oh, well, those guys aren't the best. At the time, they were. At the time, those were the next best fighters. Chad Mendes, I think, is probably the fourth best welterweight ever, or featherweight, rather, ever. I think that if you look at maybe fifth best, maybe probably the fifth best, top five all time in terms of featherweights, I think he's that good. But I think Aldo, if you look at his resume and just how he was cruising, running through everybody, and I know he lost to McGregor in 13 seconds. That will always be a blemish on his record. It's nothing he can ever get back. 
and the two losses to Holloway were, of course, tough pills to swallow. Got finished in both of those fights in the third round, one of which was in front of his home crowd in Rio. Got clean-sheeted by Volkanovski in Rio, which will, will go down as the last time he fights in front of his home crowd. Then he lost that weird split decision to Marlon Moraes when he moved down to bantamweight. But, and then lost to Piotr Jan, who was fighting for the championship. Lost to Piotr Jan in the fifth round. But then he railed off three in a row against Cheeto Vera. And look how good Cheeto Vera is right now. Uh, Pedro Munoz and Rob Font. Great wins. Got him right back into title contention. And then the loss to Duvalis really, I think he was right to say that that probably takes him out of the mix for the foreseeable future. And I don't know if Jose Aldo was knew that his time in the sport was going to be finite, that like once he you know, got to a, a point where it was going to take him a while to, to get back into title contention, that because a win over Duvalis really, you could have argued he was right there, that you could have given him potentially the next shot. But uh, that loss, I think he correctly will be correct that, you know, it would have taken him a while to get back to where he had to be. It's really actually sad when I'm looking at it on paper that his final fight is against Marab Dwalashvili in like a total ho-hum affair in Salt Lake City. Like, that's not the way the King of Rio should go out. And you, you don't always go out on top in this sport. But, you know, Joe Zialdo certainly did not look washed at any point in his career. Not to mention that everybody was talking about how he should move up to lightweight, move up to lightweight, get in super fights at lightweight. He's too heavy for featherweight. And then, out of nowhere, he decides to go to bantamweight. And he looks great. He has a proper nutrition, proper, you know, does it properly, does it the right way. Doesn't seem to affect his performance. I mean, that's about as good a bounce back as you can get from losing at 13 seconds to somebody. Came back, became the featherweight champion again. Lost twice to Holloway in two featherweight title matches. And then ended up fighting for the Bantamweight Championship. I mean, you know, had a great career. And I, uh, I loved covering Aldo. And I loved watching Aldo, first and foremost. Like, especially in the WEC days, he was appointment television. Like when he was fighting the WEC, like, I watched those fights religiously. Like, I, I was, you know, would, would watch them live and... He was one of my favorites. Like, before I was covering the sport, you know, I'm allowed to say who my favorites were. It was like him, Anderson Silva, you know, a handful of others. But Aldo was certainly on that short list. He's a legend, and the king of Rio will remain the king in our hearts. Some other news out of nowhere yesterday. Eddie Alvarez has left one championship. They decided to part ways. Now, I know Eddie had spoken to them, I think, recently. I don't know how this ended up being what the um, end result was, but he's got options now. I think the PFL is a great option, especially if they're going to try to launch this pay-per-view division. Like, if they booked this pay-per-view division and said, we're going to do Eddie Alvarez versus Nate Diaz, like, that's a great pay-per-view headliner, in my opinion. I'm not sure how many would sell. This pay-per-view division, though, has... You know, in the PFL, it has 
you know, bad news written all over it. I, I just don't know how they're going to be able to put together MMA pay-per-views that are going to be the caliber that people would pay money for regularly. Once a year, maybe. Do their championships, maybe. And, and add some big feature fights. I don't know. But that seems like a recipe for disaster, to be honest. But if they are going to attempt it, these are the kind of names you need to sign. So I'm eager to see what the, uh, the PFL come up with for not just Alvarez, but everybody. Floyd Mayweather says that uh, a rematch with McGregor is going to happen in 2023. I would bet against that. I don't see why that would take place. And I don't see how that would take place. I mean, he's still under UFC contract. I'm not sure what the deal with that is. Although I did notice something this week. I'll be tweeting about this. I cross-referenced the UFC roster, the entire roster, with USADA. And Conor McGregor's the one fighter who has not been tested all year. In all of 2022. The one active fighter. Now, I don't know if he withdrew from the USADA pool. I asked his representation. They, they you know, wouldn't give me a response. But I just find that to be odd. Now, it's either a, a terrible abdication of duty on the part of USADA, or there's something more to the story. But very, very odd nonetheless. All right, I've had your ear for long enough. Appreciate you tuning in to this week's TSN MMA show. No show this week, no interviews this week. Decided to take a bit of a breather. Kick back and look ahead. Come up with game plans for covering the sport for the rest of the year. Look ahead to some cards. This is the planning week. And then in two weeks, there's no UFC card again, which is surprising. But I appreciate all of you tuning in. And we will be back next week with a preview of UFC Fight Night. Dern versus Yan Xiaonan. And God, I hope some other news happens because I can't do a whole show on that. I'm sorry. I just can't. I can't and I won't. Be kind. Be well. And be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.